0: I had a hot dog from Speedway for breakfast today. I got some mayonnaise packets there. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. As always, we want to start by thanking our new patrons. Aaron Gildia, Indy, David J. Strandness, Andrea Culver, Laura Rayner williams A Lovely Death, Deborah Rents, Taylor Crabb, Abhijit Nair, Terry Carlson, Sarah Van Moffert, Kenzie Nidler, Amelia Davis, Nobby, Adrienne, Hanna, Heidi Portwood, and Brenda Primo. We couldn't do this without you. Our patrons get a second episode of 13 every month delivered direct to their patron-only RSS feed. Our second stories are usually a little shorter and a little experimental and off-brand, but they're a lot of fun, and they're a great way to showcase some of the awesome submissions we get. We're currently at 126 patrons. If we could get to 155, we would be able to afford to fully produce these second stories, just like the ones you're hearing on the feed right now. And when you join, you'll have two years worth of second stories already waiting for you. So help us hit that goal. Once we get there, we'll set another goal. One for second monthly stories on the main feed. That means two stories a month for all of our listeners and three for our patrons. Help us pull this off by supporting us on Patreon. Two things before we get started. You heard Kayla Temshiv on January's episode, A Voice on the Wind, and last month's episode, In the Library. You might hear them again soon. Who can say? Kayla has a radio play.
1: You're going to hear them again soon.
0: (laughs) It's us. We're saying it. Kayla has a radio play, which sounds an awful lot like an audio drama podcast entitled To Those of You Listening Back Home. You can find it at the link in the show notes. Scroll all the way down until you find the episode. It's on a college radio website, so it's like three or four down. It is so much fun. It's a found footage style audio drama about two friends that go camping. There are lots of queer themes and themes of parenting. Also lots of spooks. We also wanted to tell you about a book by Christina Orley called The Archaic Chest. Welcome to the Archaic Chest, where the objects of your dreams quickly turn into nightmares. Christina is the author of The Widow from Last Year and a patron-only story just a couple of months ago. We love Christina's work. You will, too. Look for a link in the show notes. Our story this month is Crowded, written by A. Hidalgo, and it was first featured on our Patreon as a vocals-only second story. You are going to love what Caleb has done with the Foley and score. A. Hidalgo lives quietly on a haunted farm with her family and a host of critters. In between writing short stories and a book, she enjoys midnight walks and conversations with the things in the woods. Mike is Alvin Bowling II. Alvin hosts his own horror podcast, The Ghost Light Theater, which will be returning for Season 2 this fall. Alvin also regularly appears on SCP Archives. You can find out more about what Alvin is up to in the show notes. Kat is Haberlin Roberts. Now hold your horses, before we get into our main event.
1: This month's sponsor is Athletic Greens. You all know I started taking Athletic Greens when I was looking for some more energy, mental clarity, and to get out of that COVID funk. Athletic Greens is so easy. I've recently taken up a new hobby, scouring the countryside for little figures made out of twigs and tied together with twine. They just started showing up one day. So, I get up in the morning, I pour one spoonful of Athletic Greens in 12 ounces of water, stir it up, and then I hear the singing coming from the edge of the trees. And it's time to go find more twig figures. And maybe, who's making them? With 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and probiotics, it costs less than $3 a day. And it's recommended by professional athletes and has 7,000 five-star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the cold and flu season. Just one scoop a day and a cup of water, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you need to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 13 all spelled out not the number athleticgreens.com forward slash 13 to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance
0: and now on with the show
2: clouds chase me as my old blue Ford trundles down the two-lane road I shake my head trying to clear it GPS says the place is around here somewhere no matter how many times I come here I can never seem to find the place unless Kat asks me here unless I have her permission which is stupid it's not like the place is lost in a sea of suburbs the landscape is miles of scalped land Former corn, former soybeans, and soon-to-be-former cows. As far as my eyes can see, how many century-old farmhouses next to a bridge could there be? The breeze wheezing out the truck's vents smells like dry grass, river mud, and moldy pollen. I sneeze, then check the GPS again. A white two-story house, siding mottled gray with age, looms into view. Lace-curtained windows reflecting leaden sky. I turn in, glad I don't have to drive any further with my blurring, finicky vision. I crunch over the gravel driveway and kill the engine, throwing an elbow against the truck's door as I pull the handle. After two tries, it gives with a squeal of metal. I step out and heave the thing shut again. Not a speck of rust on her, but the damn door doesn't work. A fat drop of rain spatters the back of my neck as I knock on the screen door. I wait, but the farmhouse is silent. Cold trickles into my shirt, runs down my spine, and pulls there. I pound harder, ring the bell, craning my neck to look in the curtained window. Still no answer.
3: You look like shit, Mike.
2: Cat's voice sounds behind me. Smoke dribbles from her mouth as she speaks leaves crackling underfoot as she tromps around the corner of an outbuilding in muddy rubber boots. She takes another drag.
3: What's going on?
2: I was hoping you could figure that out. God, I'm tired. My head feels like it's full of sand. Cat eyes me, then bustles inside. She emerges a few moments later with a large glass of water.
3: Drink this while I get my kit. You're not coming in like that.
2: Her small frame doesn't exactly ooze authority. Her tone does. I take the glass, sipping while I wait. Cat whisks back into the house. My phone chirps. I pull it out of my pocket and swipe the screen. Allison likes you, the notification reads. I groan inwardly, but tap to see Allison's profile anyway. Damn, Adam, for taking me onto this dating site. I scroll through Allison's page. Pretty. Blonde. Uses too many filters. Political affiliation? I snort, swiping left. Another profile replaces Allison's. My ex fiance's sea green eyes bore into me. That's my cut-off arm dangling uselessly around her shoulders in the photo. I scroll. Her about-me section makes her sound just as smart and funny as she is. Lena looks good. Ankles crossed, sitting under a beach umbrella. That mock scowl I know so well dimpling her cheek. I huff a sigh, swipe left. Another profile pops up. I don't even look. Just swipe. Left. 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 I hear a door bang shut and pocket the infernal device. Cat pushes the screen open with one hip. A saucer emitting herbal-smelling smoke and a spray bottle of greenish-blue liquid in her hands. She sets the saucer on the ground, nestling it near a pile of damp autumn leaves.
3: Here. Stand over it.
2: I do. One foot on either side of the plate. Sage smoke wafting up my body, pushing into my face with a rising wind. Thunder rumbles far off, the closing distance. Why can't I come in yet?
3: Dude, you're a ghost chaser. Why do you think?
2: Cat missed me down liberally with the blue concoction. It smells faintly of flowers and spice.
3: Do you have to pee yet? I guess. Great. Why? Go water a tree. One more spray down and maybe we can go sit in the kitchen.
2: Cat folds her arms. Weight shifting to one foot as she assesses me.
3: You're clean enough for now anyway. Inside and out. I suggest behind the garage.
2: She packs down a new box of cigarettes. A steady slapping rhythm against the heel of her palm clearly prepared to wait. I sigh, step over the plate, and head for the garage. And you still won't let me in. After my tree watering, Kat still isn't satisfied. The air is stifling with humidity, as if wads of wet cotton were plastered over my mouth and nose.
3: Well... Your extra... Ick.
2: She gestures down my body, screwing up her face. We're inside her garage now, avoiding the intermittent plops of rain. I lean against a barrel full of gardening tools, glaring at her.
3: There is no way I'm letting all of whatever this is into my home. But I put up the tent for you.
2: I raise an eyebrow, crossing my arms. Kat has already done more for me than anyone else was willing to, just by letting me on her property. She doesn't know that, though. I wait.
3: And I'll make us some, uh...
2: She reaches into the freezer behind me, grabs a parcel containing some sort of meat, and flips it over to read the label.
3: Some brats for dinner, delivered straight to your tent flap.
2: I tell her brats will be fine, but I'm trying not to drool. I'd eat dog food right now, if she put any ketchup on it. Cat heads inside with the brats and I pull up an overturned milk crate and prop up my phone on it. Then I grab a spare bucket, plop it upside down and sit. Soon the rich smell of cooking meat, butter, and all the good things in life wafts out of the house. Just before I start munching on drywall, Cat comes out with a loaded platter. Cat sets the plate alongside my phone and hands me a brat and a bun. I don't even bother with toppings, and dog number one is half gone by the time she's got mustard on hers.
3: (laughs) There's more inside if this isn't enough.
2: (laughs) Marry me. From the pouch of her hoodie, Cat produces two brown bottles. The labels have peeled off, but I don't care what it is. I stuff the last of the Doom Dog number 1 in my mouth and accept a bottle.
3: Think you can come up for air long enough to tell me what I'm looking at?
2: She's gesturing to my makeshift movie theater on the milk crate. I nod and wash down the last of the brat with a swig of beer. This is the video from our latest hunt. It's the only unusual thing I can think of that's happened lately, and only the last few minutes. Most of the hunt was pretty normal, Old plumbing making creepy noises. Me stomping around like a jackass, you know. Same old. Cat nods, taking a bite of her onion-decked creation. I don't need to give her a play-by-play. She knows what I do. We've been friends for years. Now and then I come across an actual ghost, or whatever you want to call it, that I can't deal with myself. So, I call Cat. Mostly, though, my job is old construction in even older buildings. It's a little amped-up drama for the cameras, but it's better than a desk job, and it pays the bills. I grab another brat and lavish this one with toppings before turning back into the video with Kat. We're towards the end now. A crooked doorway, surrounded by tall weeds, shows on screen. The colors washed out by the camera's night vision. The door's mouth is a gaping blackness. The last few crickets of the summer scratch out their song. Footsteps grind on gravel and broken glass. Then the first of our crew appears in the entry. Sarah, her long braid swinging, shivers as she hauls an armload of equipment through. Brad grimaces, but rolls through like the tanker he resembles. Allie hesitates on the threshold a moment, but shakes her short, spiked hair like a dog and exits off-screen. I come into view. The planes of my face look flattened by the artificial light, my eyes two dark pits with their usual post-hunt adrenaline gleam. I stride toward the camera, joking with Adam on the other side. A half-hearted chuckle is my reward. It's been a long night. My foot hits the cement slab below the door, and I stop. Confused, I retract the foot, Lean forward. What the hell? I mumble from the video. What's up? Someone calls from off screen. I can't get through. I lean harder, but I can't pass a single part of me over the threshold. It's like there's something holding me back. Did any of you run into this? A chorus of no's, not really's, and negatives answer. Hang on. I'm gonna try something. I unsling my duffel, grab its handles, and pitch it through. It thuds into the dry grass at the camera's feet. What the hell? My form disappears, followed by the sound of quick steps. I'm backing up and am picking up speed to barrel through the door. I pause the video as my nose and one foot are the only parts of me protruding from the darkness of the doorway.
3: What's so special about this ghost hunt? I thought you didn't usually film your exits.
2: We were the last group allowed on this property before it was knocked down. Figured we'd record the last living souls leaving.
3: This is that old asylum, not far east of here?
2: Yeah. Northville Psychiatric. Smack in the middle of Detroit, actually. Cat makes a carry-on gesture with her dog. I hit play again and grab another brat. My profile sweeps into the light and I whip around the corner. I hit the doorway and slow suddenly. I hook both hands around the door frame and pull myself a few more inches forward, muscles in my forearms cording and strain. It's like there's a bunch of hands pulling me back. My progress stops again, one foot outside the derelict hospital the rest of me unable to move. Sarah rushes over, Adam the camera guy close behind her. They each grab one of my wrists and pull. I slide forward another inch or two, unable to go any further. I don't think this is a prank, Adam calls to the crew off screen. Allie and another guy, Jace, grab my arms, my shoulders, and heave. I barely budge. you want. Just let me go. I plant my feet behind me and shove. My friends pull. And finally we all tumble onto the crackling brush in a heap of limbs. I stop the video, taking a swig of my beer. There's nothing much after that. Some ribbing about how I should be in a strongman show, if that was a prank.
3: Anything unusual after you left?
2: Uh, headaches lots of them feeling like i'm not alone but that's normal doing what i do sometimes i'd swear i can hear people talking a bunch of them but no one's around sometimes i'll answer without thinking (laughs) yeah cat is silent sipping thoughtfully
3: do whatever the fuck you want Is it bad? Sounds kinda like you wrote a blank check to me.
2: I think about the possibilities of writing a blank check to a bunch of spirits facing eviction. Thunder clatters. The icy rain starts in earnest. Well, shit. At night, I lay on my back, listening to the rain patter on the tent. The shelter is surprisingly comfortable. Cat's brought buffet spreading warmth out from my full belly. My sense of relief takes a little piece of my weeks-long headache away. Someone else is on the case with me. It's not just me quietly losing my mind. I close my eyes, and I'm nearly asleep. When my phone buzzes. I crack one eye. Another ping from that app. Lisa sent you a message, it says. I thumb open the profile. Hi there. I'm playing hooky tonight. What are you up to? Lisa's text reads. She looks a little like Lena, green eyes not as piercing, but pretty, a dusting of freckles over her jaw and neck. Something dark and fanged. Some foreign thought darts through my mind as my eyes wander the rest of the photo, down Lisa's narrow shoulders to her collarbones and beyond. I shake my head, and the talon thing retreats. I pause. Same. Care for some company? I write. Lisa texts back an affirmative. We swap a few essentials. She texts me an address. I roll out of bed and pull on my jeans. Be there in 30, I write. I grab my keys from the floor, throw on boots, and head out to the Ford. I pluck a cleaner shirt from the back seat and change. It's even a button-down. Horny me must have been thinking ahead. Good enough. I throw my cracked leather jacket back on against the chill and slide in, starting the engine. I gaze out the windshield, letting the old girl warm up for a few. The night is cleared, rain leaving the pungent smell of fresh, washed autumn hanging in the air. A three-quarter moon hangs over the scalped fields, dry weed stalks stabbing darker shapes into the indigo sky. Winter's frosty promise makes the night quiet. I think about canceling, crawling back into my sleeping bag and contenting myself with sleep and a full stomach. The moon has no answer for me. I shift gears and roll out, tires grinding gravel as I turn toward the road, the bridge, and Lisa. Not two miles away from cats, I'm forced to pull onto the shoulder as the Ford's hood begins belching steam. I curse as I slam the truck apart, flick on my hazards, and stomp around to the engine compartment. I pop the hood, stepping back. This beast has kissed me with fire before and I like my eyebrows where they are. I see no open flames now, though, small miracles. Waving away more smoke, I thumb on my phone's flashlight, attempting to assess the damage. I think I might see what's going on when the light blinks out. I look questioningly at my phone. Dead battery. What? The thing was charged when I left. I think so, anyway. I fumble around in my emergency kit. My fingers find the flashlight wedged at the bottom of the bag, of course. I click it on, nothing. I toss the flashlight back into the bag, leaning against the fender. I could sit here and try charging my phone on the truck. I look around. In the time it would take to get the paperweight usable, I could be halfway back to Cats but Lisa is waiting. I feel around for my charging cable, which I left at Kat's, hanging out of an outlet in her garage. Damn it. I pocket the useless phone, button up the truck and start walking. It's a clear night. I've only made one turn, so I'll get back and text Lisa. Or it was a clear night Fog marches in a rough line across the pasture on my left, rippling silently toward the edge of the road. I watch it as I walk, the moon's light creating shapes where there are none. I think about the mist I once watched rise from a Civil War battlefield in Virginia years ago, tendrils looking like the starved limbs of soldiers. I shiver, glancing back toward my truck. Maybe I have a warm hat in there, except I can't see the truck, no more than 50 paces away, and it's gone, swallowed by the fog that crept in behind me. Guess I don't need a hat that bad. I resolve to enjoy the crisp walk and carry on ahead. I try to conjure Lisa's face to think apologetic thoughts, but Lena's intelligent gaze dwarfs Lisa's watery green, her character paling Lisa's image until all I see is Lena, all over again. I walk faster, trying to outdistance myself. Lisa, Lena, that shadowy, toothed thought form slithers through my mind again, heating me, clenching things low in my gut. I jam a hand into my jeans pocket and pinch myself hard through the fabric, my strides lengthening. The thing retreats. Barely. I look up, realizing the fog has overtaken me. No big deal. I should be at the corner. No. What I can see of a long straightaway stretches out before me. The place feels strange, though I've driven and walked this road a dozen times or more over the years. I'm stranded on an island of gray clouds, the moon like an enormous bloated corpse light, hovering on a close horizon. I slow, using the painted lines on the shoulder as a guide. Turning back is no good. I tell myself to suck it up and keep moving. My steps echo weirdly, sounding like a second set of dull crunches behind me. I shrug, hunching further into my coat, and continue on. I think about those soldiers again, my imagination treating me to an image of dozens of dead, filmy eyes. The fog has entirely crossed the road now, nothing but diffuse starlight and reflective road stripes ending about six feet in front of me. Suddenly, a vice grip seizes the back of my neck, lifting and shaking me till my teeth rattle. The stench of sunburnt roadkill envelops me as I am dragged, toes barely skimming the earth back the way I've come. I lash backward with my elbows, my feet, But the attacker is holding me effortlessly at arm's length. Nothing comes out of my mouth but a choked wheeze. I twist and writhe, reaching back to grasp a wrist, a finger, something. I expect an arm thick with muscle. This thing is dragging me around like a day-old kitten. I manage to plant the toes of one foot. I arch back, straining, my hands close on. Nothing. I hear a dull thwap, like a parachute unfurling oar. Or great big leathery wings, the sharp thing in my mind smiles. I'm lifted higher, last toe now dangling alongside the other. Nothing. Nothing might break a dish, slam a door, maybe even yank a kid out of bed, supposedly. I grunt, trying to shrug out of my coat. An experimental flap. An unmistakable pulse of wings. But nothing does not pick up 200 pounds of pissed off ghost hunter and fly away with him. Vertigo oozes over me, but I refuse to look down. The huge hand tightens, twisting in my shirt collar, my hair. I scramble in my pockets for a knife, toothpick, anything. Two pale blue lights bobble toward me, slow. I kick, gargling out a cry. The lights cruise closer. Headlights? Yes. I double my efforts to get free. The car is almost below us. hear a voice right next to me as I come to. You okay, son? I bolt upright, rolling onto my knees before my surroundings even register. I brush mud and gravel off my cheek and look up. My head bumps gently against something metal as I take in the dark jeans, black shirt, and starched white collar of an old man. A silver cross glinting dully, hanging from a fine chain around his neck priest. He smiles at me. Are you alright?" I steady a hand on what's behind me and stand. Uh, yeah. I glance around and see what I'm leaning on. It's my truck. Hazard's still on, beaming through the dispersing mist. I must have dozed off. I mutter. The priest offers me a ride. I accept. What else am I going to do? As we approach his car, the passenger comes into focus. A sweet-looking woman with red ringlets curling messily under her chin. I'm lost in thought on the ride back to Katz. I say goodbye to the couple and crawl back into the tent. Once I'm inside, I lay down and listen to the quiet. The fog has retreated away from the property line a peaceful, thin line staying far across the street. Leaves rustle and tree limbs creak in the light breeze. One lone coyote yips. I flop onto my side. My head aches as usual, the back of my neck too. I pop a few aspirin, scrounge from the nearly empty bottle and close my eyes just for a minute. I should text Lisa but exhaustion takes me.
3: Yep, you've got a big fat red mark on the back of your neck. Looks like fingers.
2: Cat piles bacon, somehow still sizzling, onto my plate after inspecting me. I nod at her gratefully and sit on the edge of a raised garden bed to eat.
3: What do you think could've-
2: She's interrupted by the sound of her phone buzzing. Oh. That's Avery. You should get that. I'm mumbling through a full mouth of food, of course. Kat raises her eyebrows as she answers the phone. She wanders a short distance away, chatting quietly for a moment before hanging up.
3: How did you know that was Avery? My phone was in my pocket.
2: You told me about your husband yesterday. Figured it had to be him this early. No, I didn't. Didn't what?
3: I didn't tell you I even had a husband yesterday, let alone his name.
2: Sure you did. How else would I know?
3: No, I didn't.
2: Maybe I'm psychic now. Kat is not amused. She's not angry either. She almost looks frightened. She stares at me for a long moment, saying nothing.
3: Can you go back to the building?
2: The asylum? No. No. We were there hours before demolition. Knockdown started the morning after we left.
3: Hmm. Care for a nap?
2: I've learned over time that when Cat asks a question, it's rhetorical. I'll trust her, and it's usually better to go on faith than to know what she has planned for you. So 20 minutes later, Cat hands me a cup of steaming brown liquid and tells me to drink up. I eye it apprehensively. What's it gonna do?
3: Oh, I figure I'd start you off with a nice cleansing. Say, four or five hours of working your brains out, followed by another hour or six of devilish hallucinations. Then we can really get down to business. Oh my god, it's sleepy time tea, you big baby, with chamomile and honey. Jeez.
2: I don't believe her, but I take a sip anyway. What else am I going to do? If I can't trust Kat to help me, there's no one else. The tea tastes minty, herbal. Why are we doing this so late?
3: You said you did your usual night tour, and you left around two? Yeah. Okay, well, we can't go back to the scene of the whatever, and I wouldn't recommend it anyway. So we're going to do this as close to the time you were there physically.
2: Is this a good idea?
3: Nope. But unless you've got a better one, drink up.
2: I take a deep breath, rub my aching temples, and drink. I consider telling Kat about the thing. The fanged thoughts that cropped up last night. I sip some more. Now what? Where's your tea?
3: Oh, I'm not going in with you. Someone has to be awake in case something unremarkable happens.
2: Some nap. Anything unremarkable you want to tell me before launch?
3: Nah, I want you relaxed. Shall we?
2: I follow Kat back to my tent, walking through her piles of freshly raked leaves in protest, taking my frustration out on her. That's it? Nothing? Sit back and enjoy the ride?
3: You already know what's at stake. If shit goes pear-shaped in there, you don't just wake up with a weird feeling in sweaty bedclothes. Besides, you're asking the wrong questions.
2: What am I looking for again?
3: That's a better question. Any clues as to what went down when you tried to leave? Who or what may be hanging around you? Just be your usual observant self.
2: Well, we're screwed. I yawn as I climb into the tent. Kat gives me a half-hearted smile as she closes the flaps. Skeletal tree limbs rattle in the wind as I close my eyes. I slam the door of my old truck and approach Northville Psych. The rest of the crew must be late with our gear. I am oddly unburdened by tripods, duffels, and whatnot. Broken bits of pavement roll under my boots, revealing tufts of hardy weeds poking through the holes. It's been one of those typical late summer days, hot in the middle and cool on the edges. Detroit smells like warm asphalt, someone's fried chicken, dust, and incoming rain. I look around for everyone else, expecting Adam's sensible sedan to ease around the corner any moment. No one. A low-riding Chevy Impala rolls by, bass bumping every bolt of the car into rhythmic vibrations. Dogs bark. A couple shouts. Still, none of the crew are here. I fish out my phone, leave a text with Adam that I'm going in. I pocket the phone and continue inside. As I pace through the tilting door of the hospital, I feel a tug an invisible band of constriction wrapping around my chest. I can feel it pushing the air from my distant body. I remember that I'm dreaming. My body gasps, but I breathe slowly, entering the reception area. A 10 by 10 square, windows boarded up or broken, hurried graffiti on the warped walls, and a pass-through that a nurse or security officer might sit behind, missing its protective pane of glass. I walk through the defunct security door into the halls beyond. Gurneys are left where their last patients needed them, some with hangers for IVs still attached. The light on my phone goes out and I smash my knee into a wheelchair. Cursing, I bend to rub at my leg, nudging the chair out of my way with the other hand. Dream or not, that fucking hurt. There's no light and again my phone is dead. There's a clatter on some other floor. The rest of the crew? I slide my hand along a wall, slimy with mold to guide me, inching forward. Glass, bits of tile from the ceiling, and more modern debris rattle under my feet. Someone had camped here for a while. I stop as I remember the extra flashlight I always keep on me. As I rummage for it, that rotten meat stench, familiar somehow, reaches my nose. I gag, shaking my head, still searching my pockets. Gotcha. I flick on the flashlight, its narrow beam revealing a line of office chairs I was about to run into. I crunch through the last of the mystery squatter's garbage and turn through a door to the stairwell, spattered with a lopsided heart. N loves M, it says. I take the stairs two at a time, wrinkling my nose that rot smell is getting stronger. I push through the third floor stair exit, hoping I can dodge the odor. Nope. I carry on, vague thoughts of this floor being the one I investigated before urging me forward. I turn left and enter a patient's room. The bed is still there. Pushed into a corner, linens turned down, as if awaiting a sleeper. A film of dust coats the bed and the room. Pieces of plaster have fallen onto the blanket. The window is intact up here, letting in weak, dirty light from the street lamps outside. Someone's left a... a trading card. Something on the bed. I enter the room further to inspect it. A wall of pustulant reeks slams me so hard, I can taste it. So powerful, I can almost feel it. A maggoty, worming presence on my skin, in my brain. A hand fists in my hair, claws digging into my scalp, shoves me face first onto the bed. Somewhere inside or away, my body butts. I am face up on the crisp sheets. The overhead light is on. I hear traffic humming in the street below. Watery sunlight filters in through double panes of glass. A quiet hubbub of voices beyond the door. A phone rings. Someone's sneaker squeak down the hall toward my room. My room? I sit up, or try to. I thump back into the pillow wheezing. The sneakers turn into my door and a face hovers over me. Oh good, you're awake. The priest is here, I'll get him. She bobs a nod at me, wild red hair springing in time. No laces on her shoes, I notice. Must be a patient, like me. Like. I try sitting up again, pushing my hands into the hard mattress straining. I gasp. Something smells off, half rotten. I push, grunting but can't rise. Something, some squirming sensation holds me to the bed. My body, where is it? The priest is next to me easy son. A gnarled hand pats my shoulder. Easy. I hear myself asking, who are you? But I know. Dark jeans, shirt, and white collar. Silver cross. Weathered face. The priest smiles at me. You ask for someone to come and give you last rites, son. Might not be your chosen denomination, But I'm what we've got. Last rite, I hear myself asking. The red-headed woman is back. She's smiling at me encouragingly from the doorway. Don't you worry, the priest is saying, still smiling down at me warmly. I can speechify all day. Won't make the good lord take you a second sooner than he intends. The priest pats my shoulder again, pressing me firmly into the mattress. I push back against him. What? No. I... I... The old man starts talking, a half-remembered litany from catechism. I flail with a free hand, landing a glancing blow to the priest's arm. He keeps speaking. An orderly rushes in, meaty hands pinning me to the bed. Stop, Damn it! I scream. I can't breathe. The air in my lungs has turned to putrefied mud. The priest carries on, his words melding into a low drone. My body is somewhere, spasming. There are worms in my ears, my nose. My heart thunders in irregular pulses. Sharp pains in my chest, aching for air. If I breathe in the mud, it will stop hurting. My ragged heart slows. My body, Mike's body, slumps. The cherub-faced woman with the ringlets is there. She smiles over the priest's bowed head. Is she, is she glowing? Don't worry, dear, it's not your time yet, she says. I can only gape at her, gasping spasmodically. Flat on my back, black spots crowding my vision. Something bright whips over the woman's head, slamming into my chest. A new set of hands, white hot, bunch fistfuls of my shirt, lifting me from the bed. Colored dots join the black in my eyes as the dazzling thing hurls me in one smooth silent motion through the double paned window.
3: Welcome back. You came out of that dream like a cat on fire, but we got what we needed. You're good to go.
2: Good to go? What the hell did you do? Cat smirks and hands me a chocolate bar. I eye it apprehensively before taking a bite. It helps. Cat gestures for me to follow her. We exit the tent and head towards the house. She opens the back door and steps aside so I can enter. So...
3: So, this story needs coffee.
2: Who, me? Into your house?
3: Get in there. I have a joke for you. A priest, a demon, an angel, and a psychic walk into a room.
2: Sunlight sparkles red and gold through autumn trees. The smell of warm pavement, leaf mold, and river water blowing through the open... Driver's side window. Cows move quietly as I cruise past. There had been nothing wrong with the truck, clouds of smoke to the contrary. It just needed a jump after sitting so long. I must have walked back after all. Guess one puny ghost hunter can get distracted when he's got four other people. Well, two people and two supernatural beings in his head. The redhead had been a patient at the hospital. Delusions of grandeur, they said. Thought she was psychic. Turns out she was. Not only did the priest believe the inmate, but they fell in love. Eventually married. Married in spirit, anyway. She died there, at Northville. Kat showed me her picture. Don't know how, when, or from where Kat got the info. Every time I'd ask cat would just sip her coffee and smirk. So anyway, the psychic dies and the priest isn't far behind her. Fast forward and they both decide to hitch a ride out of the building with the first moron to give them a free pass. Honeymoon, here we come. A nasty piece of work in the form of a very smelly demon decides to be a third wheel to the happy couple. The priest puts in a call to the big guy for some defense. He sends one of his holy warriors, and we've got a proper game of of tug-of-war with me as the rope. My phone buzzes. Lisa. I ignore her text. Call her instead. Hi, Lisa. Yeah, I'm a dick. Look, you seem really cool, but you can do way better. I'm just not up for this right now. Yeah. Take care of yourself, Lisa. I hang up, ease to a stop on the shoulder. I delete the dating app and throw the phone onto the passenger seat. Putting the truck in gear again, I blow out a long breath. I think about Lena. Something jagged follows that thought. But it's probably mine. Sun on leaves. Hot coffee. And me alone. I think I prefer it this way.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thirteen. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This month's episode was Crowded by A. Hidalgo. Mike is Alvin Bowling II. Kat is Haberlin Roberts. Music, editing, and sound design by Kayla Ritchie, with assistance from Bridget Howard, Ian Epperson, and Brooke Jeanette. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Paul Doyle, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Jack Chaddick, Temple Ruff, Emily Carroll, and Taylor Crab. Thank you so much for your support. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and a second monthly reading. Merch, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and weekly updates on the show. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at some version of 13pod or pod13. Just look for the logo. We'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show or contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find that in the show notes. Bridget Howard is making brats. Thank you for listening. See you next month.